The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, continuing the story of The Hobbit. Chapter 4 The Siege of Gondor. Pippin was roused by Gandalf. Candles were lit in their chamber, for only a dim twilight came through the windows. The air was heavy as with their as with approaching thunder. What is the time? said Pippin, yawning. Past the second hour, said Gandalf. Time to get up and make yourself presentable. You are summoned to the lord of the city to learn your new duties. And will he provide breakfast? No, I have provided it. All that you will get till noon. Food is now doled out by order. Pippin looked roof, ruefully at the small loaf and, he thought, very inadequate part, pat of butter which was set out for him, beside a cup of thin milk. Why did you bring me here? he said. You know quite well, said Gandalf to keep you out of mischief and if you do not like being here you can remember that you brought it on yourself pippin said no more before long he was walking with gandalf once more down the only corridor to the door of the tower hall there dinathor sat in a gray gloom like an old patient spider pippin thought he did not seem to have moved since the day before he beckoned gandalf to a seat but pippin was left for a while standing unheeded presently the old man turned to him Master Peregrine, I hope that you used yesterday to your profit and to your liking, though I fear that the board is bare in this city than you could wish. Pippin had an uncomfortable feeling that most of what he had said or done was somehow known to the lord of the city, and much was guessed of what he, much was guessed of what he thought as well. He did not answer. What would you do in my service? I thought, sir, that you would tell me my duties. I will when I learn you are. When I learn what you are fit for, said Dinathor, but that I shall learn soonest, maybe if you keep if I keep you beside me. The esquire of my chamber has begged leave to go to the out garrison, so you shall take his place for a while. You shall wait on me, bear errands, and talk to me if warrant counsel leave me and leave me any leisure. Can you sing? Yes, said Pippin, well, yes, well enough, for my own people, but we have no songs fit for great halls and evil times, Lord. We seldom sing of anything more terrible than wind or rain, and most of my songs are about things that make us laugh, or about food and drink, of course. And why would such songs be unfit for my halls, or, or for such hours as these? We who have lived long under the shadow may surely listen to echoes from a land untroubled by it. Then we may feel that our vigil was not fruitless, though it may have been thankless. Pippin's heart sank. He did not relish the idea of singing any song of the shadow to the lord of Minas Tirith, certainly not the comic ones that he knew best. They were too, well, rustic for an occasion. He was, however, spared the ordeal for the present. He was not commanded to sing. Denethor turned to Gandalf, asking questions about the Rohirrim and their policies, and the position of Eomer, the king's nephew. Pippin marveled at the amount that the lord seemed to know about, the, about a people that lived far away, though it must, he thought, be many years since Denethor himself had ridden abroad. Presently... Presently, Denethor waved to Pippin and dismissed him again for a while. Go to the armories of the citadel, he said, and get you there, and get you there the livery of the uh, livery and gear of the tower. It will be ready. It was commanded yesterday. Return when you are clad. It was as he said, and Pippin soon found himself arrayed in strange garments, all of black and silver. He had a small hauberk. Its rings forged of steel, maybe, yet black as jet, and a, and a high-crowned helm with small raven wings on either side, set with a silver star in the center of the circlet. Above the mail was a short surcoat of black, but broidered on the breast in silver with the token of the tree. His old clothes were folded and put away, but he was permitted to keep the gray cloak of Lorien, though, though not to wear it when on duty. He looked now, had he known it, very ernil I fear Maneth, the prince of the halflings, that folk had called him, but he felt uncomfortable, and the gloom began to weigh on his spirits. It was dark and dim all day. From the sunless dawn until evening, the heavy shadow had deepened, and all, the heart, all hearts in the city were oppressed. Far above a great cloud stream slowly westered from the black land, devouring light, borne upon a wind of war. But below the air was still and breathless, as if all the vale of Anduin waited for the onset of a ruinous storm. About the eleventh hour, released at last for a while from service, Pippin came out and went in search of food and drink to cheer his heavy heart and make his task of waiting more supportable. 
In the messes, he met Baragond again, who had just come from an errand over the Pelennor out to the guard towers upon the causeway. Together they strolled out to the walls, for Pippin felt imprisoned indoors and stifled even in the lofty citadel. Now they sat side by side again in the embrasure looking eastward, where they had eaten and talked the day before. It was the sunset hour, but the great pile had now stretched far into the west, and only as it sank at last into the south did the sun escape to send out a brief farewell gleam before the night, even as Frodo saw it in the, it, even as Frodo saw it at the at, even as Frodo saw it at the crossroads touching the head of the fallen king. But to the fields of the Pelennor, under the shadow of the Mendolian, there came no gleam. They were brown and drear. Already it seemed to Pippin, since he had sat there before, in some half-forgotten time when he had still had been a hobbit, a light-hearted wanderer touched little by the perils he had passed through. Now he was one small soldier in a city preparing for a great assault, clad in the proud but somber manner of the Tower of Guard. In some other time and place Pippin might have been pleased with his new array, but he knew now that he was taking part in no play. He was in deadly earnest he was in deadly earnest the servant of a grim master in the greatest peril. The hauberk was burdensome, and the helm weighed upon his head. His cloak he had cast aside upon the seat. He turned his tired gaze away from the darkling fields below and yawned, and then he sighed. You are weary this day, said Bergond. Yes, said Pippin, very. Tired out with idleness and waiting. I have kicked my heels at the door of my master's chamber for many slow hours, while he has debated with Gandalf and the prince and other great persons. And I am not used, Master Baragond, to waiting hungry on others while they eat. It is a sore trial for a hobbit that, no doubt, you will think I should feel the honor more deeply. But what is the good of, what is the good of such honor? Indeed, what is, it, what is the good even of food and drink under this creeping shadow? What does it mean? The very air seems thick and brown. Do you often have such glooms when the wind is in the east? Nay, said Baragond, this is no weather of the world. This is some device of his malice, some broil of fume from the mountain of fire that he sends to darken hearts in council, and so it doth indeed. I wish the Lord Faramir would return. He would not be dismayed, but now who knows if he will ever come back across the river out of the darkness. Yes, said Pippin. Gandalf, too, was anxious. He was disappointed, I think, not to find Faramir here. And where has he got to himself? He left the Lord's council before the noon meal, and in no good mood either, I thought. Perhaps he has some foreboding of bad news. Suddenly, as they talked, they were stricken dumb, frozen as it were to listening stones. Pippin cowered down with his hands pressed to his ears, but Baragond, who had been looking out from the battlement as he spoke of Faramir, remained there, stiffened, staring out with starring starting eyes pippin knew the shuddering cry that he had heard it was the same that he had heard long ago in the marish of the shire but now it was grown in power and hatred piercing the heart with a poisonous despair at last baragon spoke with an effort they've come he said take courage and look there are fell things below reluctantly pippin climbed on to the seat and looked over looked out over the wall the pelinor lay dim beneath him fading away to the scarce-guessed line of the great river. But now, wheeling swiftly across it, like shadows of untimely night, he saw in the middle airs below him five bird-like forms, horrible as carrion fowl, yet greater than eagles, cruel as death. Now they swooped near, venturing almost within bowshot of the walls. Now they circled away. Black riders, muttered Pippin. Black riders of the air. But see, Bergant, he cried, they are looking for something, surely. See how they wheel and swoop, always down to that point over there. And can you see something moving on the ground? Dark little things. Yes, men on horses, four or five. Ah, I cannot stand it. Gandalf, Gandalf, save us. Another long screech rose and fell, and he threw himself back again from the wall, panting like a hunted animal. Faint and seemingly remote through, through the shuddering cry, he heard winding up from below the sound of a trumpet ending on a long high note. Faramir, the Lord Faramir, it is his call, cried Baragond. Brave heart, but how can he win to the gate if these foul hellhawks have other weapons than fear? But look, they hold on. They will make the gate. No, the horses are running mad. Look, the men are thrown. They are running on foot. No, one is still up, but he rides back to the others. 
That will be the captain. He can master both beasts and men. Ah, there are one of the foul things is stooping on him. Help, help. Will no one go out to him? Far mere. With that, Baragond sprang away and ran off into the gloom. Ashamed of his terror, while Baragond of the guard thought first of the captain whom he loved, Pippin got up and peered out. At that moment, he caught a flash of white and silver coming from the north like a small star down on the dusky fields. It moved with the speed of an arrow and grew as it came, converging swiftly with the flight of the four men towards the gate. It seemed to Pippin that a pale light was spread about it, and the heavy shadows gave way before it, and then, as it drew near, he thought that he had he thought he heard, like an echo in the walls, a great calling a great voice calling. Gandalf, he cried. Gandalf He always turns up when things are darkest. Go on, go on, right rider. Gandalf, Gandalf he shouted wildly, like an onlooker at a great race urging on a runner who was far beyond encouragement. But now the dark, swooping shadows were aware of the newcomer. One wheeled towards him, but it seemed to Pippin that he raised his hand, and from it a shaft of white light stabbed upwards. The Nazgul gave a long, wailing cry and swerved away, and with that the four others wavered, and then rising in swift spirals, they passed away eastward, vanishing into the lowering cloud below, a lowering cloud above, and down on the Pelennor it seemed for a while less dark. Pippin watched, and he saw the horsemen and the white rider meet and halt, waiting for those on foot. Men now hurried out to them from the city, and soon they all passed from sight under the outer walls, and he knew that they were entering the gate. Guessing that they would come at once to the tower and the steward, he hurried to the entrance of the citadel. There he was joined by many others who had watched the race and the rescue from the high walls. It looked not long before a clamor was heard in the streets leading up from the outer circles, and there was much cheering and crying of the names of Faramir and Mithrandir. Presently Pippin saw torches, and followed by a press of people, two horsemen riding slowly. One was in white, but shining no longer, pale in the twilight as his fire was spent or veiled. The, others, the other was dark, and his head was bowed. They dismounted, and as grooms took Shadowfax and the other horse, they walked forward to the sentinel at the gate. Gandalf steadily, his gray cloak flung back, and a fire still smoldering in his eyes. The other, clad, in, clad all in green, slowly swaying a little, as a weary or a wounded man. Pippin pressed forward as they passed, under the lamp beneath the great arch, and when he saw the pale face of Faramir, he caught his breath. It was the face of one who had been assailed by great fear or anguish, but has mastered it and now is quiet. Proud and grave he stood for a moment as he spoke to the guard, and Pippin, gazing at him, saw how closely he resembled his brother Boromir, whom Pippin had liked from the first admiring the great man's lordly, lordly but kindly manner. Yet suddenly for Faramir his heart was strangely moved with a feeling that he had not known before. Here was one with an air of high nobility such as Aragorn at times revealed, less high perhaps, yet also incalculable, incalculable and remote, one of the kings of men, born into a later, later time, but touched with the wisdom and sadness of the elder race. He knew now why Bergon spoke his name with love. He was a captain that men would follow, that he would follow, even under the shadow of the black wings. Faramir, he cried aloud with the others, Faramir, and Faramir, catching a strange voice among the clamor of men of the city, turned and looked down at him and was amazed. Whence come you, he said, a halfling, and in the livery of the tower? Whence? But with that Gandalf stepped to his side and spoke. He came with me from the land of the halflings, he said. He came with me, but let us not tarry here. This, there is much to say and to do, and you are weary. He shall come with us, indeed he must, for if he does not forget his new duties more easily than I do, he must attend on his lord again with this hour. Come, Pippin, follow us. So at length he came to the private chamber of the lord of the city. Their deep seats were set about a brazier of charcoal, and wine was brought, and there Pippin, hardly noticed, stood behind the chair of Denethor and felt his weariness little, so eagerly did he listen to all that was said. When Faramir had taken white bread and drunk a draught of wine, he sat upon a low chair at his father's left hand, removed a little upon the other side sat Gandalf in a chair of carven wood, and he seemed at first to be asleep. For at the beginning, Farmer spoke only of the errand upon which he had been sent out ten days before, and he brought tidings of, of Athelian and of movements of the enemy and his allies, and he told of the fight on the road when the men came, when the men of Harad, 
and their great beasts were overthrown. A captain reporting to his master such matters has, as had often been heard before, small things aboard a war, war that now seemed useless and petty, shorn off their renown. Then suddenly Farmer looked at Pippin. But now we have come to strange matters, he said, for this is not the first halfling that I have seen walking out of northern legends into the southlands. At that Gandalf sat up and gripped the arms of his chair, but he had but he said nothing, and with a look stopped the exclamation on Pippin's lips. Denethor looked at their faces and nodded his head, as though in sign that he had read much there before it was spoken. Slowly, while the others sat silent and still, Farmir told his tale, with his eyes for the most part on Gandalf, though now and again his glance straight to Pippin, as if to refresh his memory of others that he had seen. As his story was, was unfolded of his meeting with Frodo and his servant, and of the events at Henneth and Anun, Pippin became aware that Gandalf's hands were trembling as they clutched the carven wood. White they seemed now and very old, and as he looked at them, suddenly with a thrill of fear, Pippin knew that Gandalf, Gandalf himself, was troubled, troubled, even afraid. The air of the room was closed, and still. At last, when Farmer spoke of his parting with the travelers, and of the resolve to go to Sirith and Gul, his voice fell, and he shook his head and sighed, and Gandalf sprang up. Sirith and Gul, Morgul Vale, he said, this time, Farmer, the time... When did you part with them? When would they reach that accursed valley? I parted with them in the morning two days ago, said Faramir. It is fifteen leagues thence to the Vale of the Morguildoin, if they went straight south, and they would be all still five leagues westward of the accursed tower. As swift as they could not come here before today, and maybe they have not come here, come there yet. Indeed, I see what you fear, but the darkness is not due to their venture. It began yester-eve, and all Athelion was under shadow last night. It is clear to me that what, that the enemy has long planned on, an assault on us, and its hour had already been determined before, the tra before ever the travelers left my keeping. Gandalf paced the floor. The morning of today is nigh on thir three days of journey. How far is this place where you parted? Some twenty leagues, as the bird flies, answered Farmir. But I could not... M but I could not come more swiftly. Yesterday Eve I lay at the Care and Ross, the long isle in the river northward which we had in defence, and horses were kept on the hither bank. As the dark drawn I knew that ha that haste was needed, so I rode thence with three others and could also be horsed. The rest of my company I went south I sent south to strengthen the garrison at the fort of Osgiliath. I hope that I have not done ill. He looked to his father. Ill, cried Denethor, and his eyes flashed suddenly. Why do you ask? The men are, were under your command, or do you ask for my judgment on all your deeds? You're bearing it slowly in my presence, yet it is long, since, long now since you turned from your, own, from your own way at my counsel. See, you have spoken skillfully as ever, but I, have I not seen your eye fixed on Mithrandir, seeking whether you said well to... Seeking whether you said well or too much, he has long had her. He has long had your heart in his keeping. My son, your father is old, but not dotard. I can see and hear as my wont, and little of what you have said or left unsaid is now hidden from me. I know the answer to many riddles. Alas, alas for Boromir! If what I have done pleases you, my father," said Farmir quietly. I wish I had known your counsel before the burden of so weighty a judgment was thrust on me. Would that have availed to change your judgment? said Denethor. You would still have done just so, I deem. I know you well. Ever your desire to appear a lord appear lordly lordly and generous as a king of gracious of old gracious gentle, that may well be, that may well befit one of high race, if he sits in power and peace. But in desperate hours, gentleness may be repaid with death. So be it, said Faramir. So be it, cried Denethor. But not with your death only, Lord Faramir, with the death also of your father and of all your people, whom it is with your part to protect now that Boromir is gone. Do you wish then, said Faramir, that our places had been exchanged? Yes, I wish that indeed, said Denethor, for Boromir was loyal to me and no wizard's pupil. He would have remembered his father's need, and would have not squandered what fortune gave. He would have brought me a mighty gift. 
For a moment, Farmer's restraint gave way. I would ask you, my father, to remember why, I, why it was that I, not he, was an affiliate. On one occasion, at least your counsel had prevailed, not long ago. It was the lord of the city that gave the errand to him. Stir not the bitterness in the cup that I have mixed for myself, said Denethor. Have I not tasted it now many nights upon my tongue, for burning that, that worse yet lay in your dregs? And not, indeed, I find, would it, would it were not so, would that this thing come had find to, would that this thing had come to find me. Come for yourself, said Gandalf, and no case would bore me have brought it to you. He is dead and died well, may sleep in peace, that you deceive yourself. He would have stretched out his hand to this thing, and taking it, he, and taking it, he would have fallen. He would have kept it for his own, and when he returned, you would not have known your son. The face on, of Denethor set hard and cold. You found Boromir less apt to your hand, did you not? He said softly. But I, who was his father, said that he would have brought it to me. You are wise, maybe, Mithrin, dear. Yet all your sub subtleties have not all wisdom. Counsels may be found that are neither the webs of wizards nor the haste of foods. I have in this matter more lore and wisdom than you deem. What then is your wisdom? said Gandalf. Enough to perceive that there are two follies to avoid. To use this thing is perilous. At this hour to send it in the hands of a willis halfling into the land of the enemy himself, as you have done, and this son of mine, that is madness. And the Lord Denethor, what would he have done? Neither. But most surely, not for any argument, would, ha would he have set this thing at a hazard beyond all but a fool's hope, risking our utter ruin. If the enemy would recover what he has lost, nay, it should have been kept hidden, hidden dark and deep, not used, I say, unless at the uttermost end of need, but beyond his grasp, save by a victory of the uttermost end of need. Sorry, but beyond his grasp, save by... Safe by victory, so far all that would befell would not tremble upon us, being dead. You think as you won't, my lord, only Gondor only, said Gandalf. Yet there are other men and other lives in time still to, to be, and for me, I pity even his slaves. And what will other men look for if Gondor falls, answered Denethor. If I had this thing now in the deep vaults of the citadel, we should not then shake the dread under the gloom, fearing the worst, and our counsels would be undisturbed. If you do not trust me to endure the test, you do not know me yet. Nonetheless, I do not trust you, said Gandalf. Had I done so, I could have spent, I could have sent this thing hither to your keeping and spared myself less, no more than Boromir. Wait, and spared myself and others so much anguish. And now hearing you speak, I and now hearing you speak, I trust you less, no more than Boromir. Nay, stay your wrath. I do not trust myself in this, and I refuse this thing, even as freely given. You are strong and can still in some matters govern yourself, Denethor. Yet if you had received this thing it would have overthrown you. Where it were it buried beneath the rocks of Mendolian, still it would burn your mind away. As the as the darkness grows, and yet worse things follow that soon shall come upon us. For a moment the eyes of Denethor glowed again as he faced Gandalf, and Pippin felt once more the strain between their wills. But no, but now almost it seemed as if their glances were like blades, from eye to eye, flickering as they fenced. Pippin trembled, fearing some dreadful, dreadful stroke, but suddenly Denethor relaxed and grew cold again. He shrugged his shoulders. If I had, if you had, he said, such words and ifs are in vain. It has gone us. It has gone into the shadow, and only time will show what doom awaits it and us. The time will not be long, and what is left, let all who fight the enemy in their fashion be at one, and keep hope while they may. And after hope, still the hardihood of hardihood to die free. He turned to Faramir. What think you of the garrison at Osgiliath? It is not strong, said Faramir. I have sent the company of Vithilian to strengthen it, as I have said. Not enough, I deem, said Denethor. It is there that the first blow will fall. There will have need of some stout captain there. There and elsewhere my place, said Faramir inside. Alas, for my brother, whom I too loved, he rose. May I have, may I have your leave, father? And then he swayed and leaned upon his father's chair. 
You are weary, I see, Denethor. You have ridden fast and far, and under shadows of evil in the air, I am told. Let us not speak of that, said Faramir. Then we will not, said Denethor. Go now and rest as you may. Tomorrow's need will be sterner. Al now took leave of the lord of the city and went to rest while they still could. Outside there was a starless blackness as Gandalf with Pippin beside him, bearing a small torch, made his way to their lodging. They did not speak until they were behind closed doors. doors. Then at last Pippin took Gandalf's hand. Tell me, he said, is there any hope? For Frodo, I mean, or at least mostly for Frodo. Gandalf put his hand on Pippin's head. There, was ne there never was much hope, he answered. Just a fool's hope, as I have been told. And when I heard of Sirith and Gwul, he broke off and strode to the window as if eyes could pierce the night into the, in the east. Sirith and Gwul, he muttered. Why that way, I wonder? He turned. Just truth, I believe that the news that Farmer brings has some hope in it, for it seems clear that our enemy has opened his war at last and made the first move while Frodo was still free. So now for many days he will have his eye turned this way and that, away from his own land. And yet, Pippin, I feel from afar his hate and fear. He has begun sooner than he would. Something has happened to stir him. Gandalf stood for a moment and thought. Maybe, he muttered. Maybe even your foolishness helped, my lad. Let me see. Some five days ago now he would discover that we had thrown down Saruman and had taken the stone. Still, what of that? We could not use it to, per to much purpose or without his knowing. Ah, I wonder. Argorn. Argorn? His time draws near, and he is strong and stern underneath. Pippin, bold, determined, able to take his own counsel and dare great risks at need. That may be it. He may have used the stone and shown himself to the enemy, challenging him for his very purpose. I wonder. Well, we shall not know the answer to the riders of Rohan come, if they do not come too late. They are our evil days ahead, to sleep while we may. But, said Pippin, but what, said Gandalf, only one but will I allow tonight. Gollum, said Pippin, how on earth could they be going without going with him, even following him? And I could see that Farmer did not like the place he was taking them to any more than you do. What is wrong? I could not answer that now, said Gandalf. Yet my heart guessed that Frodo and Gollum would have would meet before the end, for good or for evil, but, Sir, but of Sirith and Gwul I will not speak tonight. Treachery, treachery, I fear, treachery of that miserable creature, but so it must be. Let us remember that a traitor may betray himself and do good and do good that he does not intend. It can be so sometimes. Good night. The next day came with the morning like a brown dusk, and the hearts of men, lifted for a while by the return of Farmir, sank low again. The winged shadows were not seen again that day, yet ever and anon high above the city. A faint cry would come, and many who heard it would stand stricken with a passing dread, while the less stout-hearted quailed and wept. And now Farmir was gone again. They gave him no rest, some murmured. The Lord drives his son too hard, and now he must do the duty of two, for himself and for the one that would not return. And ever men looking northward asking, Where are the riders of Rohan? In truth, Farmer did not go by his own choosing, but the lord of the city was master to his council, and he was in no mood that day to bow to others. Early in the morning, the council had been summoned. They are all the captains judged in because of the threat in the south. Their force was too weak to make any stroke of war on their own part. On this perchance the riders of Rohan yet should come. Meanwhile, they must man the walls and wait. Yet, said Denethor, we should not lightly abandon the outer defenses the ram has made with so great a labor. Even the enemy must pay dearly for the crossing of the river that he cannot do and force to assail the city, either north of Caer Andros because of the marshes, or southwards towards Lebanon because of the breadth of the river that needs many boats. It is at Osgiliath that he will put his weight as, as before when Bormir denied him the passage. That was but a trial, said Faramir. Today we make the enemy pay ten times or ten times our loss at the passage, and yet rue the exchange, for he can afford to lose a host better than we to lose a company. And the retreat of those that we put out of out far afield will be perilous if he wins across in force. And what of care and drill? said the prince. That too must be held if Osgiliath is defended. Let us not forget the danger on our left. 
The robber may come, and they may not. But Faramir has told us of great strength, drawing ever to the black gate. More than one host may issue from it, and strike for more than one passage. Much must be risked in a, risked, risked in a war, said Denethor. Karanjos is manned, and no more can be sent so far. But I will not yield the river and the Pelennor unfought, not if there is a captain here who has still the courage to do his lord's will. Then all were silent, but at length Farmer said, I do not oppose your will, sire. Since you are robbed of Bormir, I will go and do what I can in his steed, if you command it. I do so, said Dinathor. Then farewell, said Farmer. Pleasure return. You think, think better of me. That depends. Gandalf, it, Gandalf, it was that last spoke to Faramir ere he rode east. Do not throw your life away rashly or in bitterness, he said. You will be needed here for other things than war. Your father loves you, Faramir, and will remember it ere the end. Farewell. So now the Lord Faramir had gone forth again, and had taken with him such strength of men as were willing to go or could be spared. On the walls some gazed through the gloom towards the ruined city, and they wondered what chanced there, for nothing could be seen. And others, as ever, looked north and counted the leagues to Theoden and Rohan. Will he come? Will he remember our old alliance, they said? Yes, he will come, said Gandalf, and even if he comes too late. But think, at best the Red Arrow could not be reached him more than two days ago, and the miles are long from Edoras. It was night and news came again. A man rode in haste from the forge, saying that a host had issued from Minas Morgul and was already drawing nigh to Osgiliath, and it had been joined by regiments from the south, Haradrim, Cruel, and Tall. And we have learned, said the messenger, that the black captain leads them once again, and the fear of him has passed before him over the river. With those elbowing words, the third day closed since Pippin came to Minas Tirith. Few went to rest, for small hope had n had any now that even Faramir could hold the fords for long. The next day, th though the darkness had reached its full and grew deeper, grew no deeper, it weighed heavy on men's hearts, and a great dread was on them. Ill news came soon again. The passage of Anduin was won by the enemy. Faramir was retreating to the wall of the Pelennor, rallying his men to the causeway forts, but he was ten times outnumbered. If he wins back all, all across the Pelennor, his enemies will be on his heels, said the messenger. They have paid dear for the crossing, but less dearly than we hoped. The plan has been well laid. It is now seen that in secret they have long been building floats and barges in the great number of great number in East Osgiliath. They swarmed across like beetles, but it is the black captain that defeats us. Few will stand and abide even the rumor of his coming. His own folk quail at him, and they would slay themselves at his bidding. Then I am needed there more than here, said Gandalf, and rode off at once, and the glimmer of him faded soon from sight. And all that night Pippin, alone and sleepless, stood upon the wall and gazed eastward. The bells of the day had scarcely rung out again, a mockery in the unlightened dark, when far away he saw fire spring up across in the dim spaces where the walls of the Pelennor stood. The watchman cried aloud, and all men in the city stood to arms. Now ever and, and, now ever and anon there was a red flash, and slowly through the heavy air dull rumbles could be heard. They have taken the wall, men cried. There are blasting breaches in it. They are coming. Where is Faramir? cried Baragond in dismay. Say not that he has fallen. It was Gandalf that brought the first tidings. With the handful of horsemen he came in the middle morning, riding as escort to a line of wains. They were filled with wounded men and all that could be saved from the wreck of the causeway forts. At once he went to Denethor. The lord of the city sat now in a high chamber above the hall of the white tower with Pippin at his side. And through the dim windows, north and south and east, he bent his dark eyes as if to pierce the shadows of doom that ringed him round. Most to the north he looked and would pause at whiles to listen as if by some ancient art his ears might hear the thunder of hoofs on the plains far away. Is Faramir coming? he asked. No, said Gandalf, but he still lived when I left him, yet he is resolved to stay with the re rear guard, lest the retreat over the Pelennor became a rout. He may perhaps hold his men together long enough, but I doubt it. He is pitted against a foe too great, for one has come that I feared. Not the Dark Lord, cried Pippin, forgetting his place in his terror. Dinathor laughed bitterly. Nay, not yet, Mr. Master Peregrine. 
He will not come save only to triumph over me when all is won. He uses others as his weapons. So do all great lords, if they are wise, Master Halfwing. Or why should I sit here in my tower and think, and watch, and wait, spending even my sons? For I can still wield a brand. He stood up and cast upon his long black cloak, and behold, he was clad in mail beneath, and girt with a long sword, great hilted in a sheath of black and silver. Thus I have walked, and thus now for many years I have slept, he said, lest with age the body should grow soft and timid. <laughs> Yet now under the lord of Baradour, the most fell of all his captains is already messed. Yet now under the lord of Baradour, the most fell of all his captains, is already master of your outer walls, said Gandalf. King of um, Admar long ago, sorcerer Ringwraith, lord of the Nazgul, a spear of terror in the hand of Sauron, shadow of despair. Then, Mithrandir, you had a foe to match you, said Denethor. For myself, I have long known who was the chief, of, chief captain of the host of the Dark Tower. Is this all that you have returned to say, or can it be that you have withdrawn because you are overmatched? Pippin trembled, fearing that Gandalf would be stung so sudden wrath, stung to sudden wrath, but his fear was needless. It might be so, said Gandalf. Gandalf answered softly, but our trial of strength is not yet come, and if words spoken of old be true, not by the hand of man shall he fall, and hidden from the wise is the doom that awaits him. However that may be, the captain of despair does not press forward yet. He rules rather according to the wisdom that you have just spoken, from the rear, driving his slaves in madness on before. Nay, I came rather to guard the hurt men that can, can yet be healed, for the ramus is breached far and wide, and soon the host of Morkel will enter in at many points, and I came chiefly to say this. Soon there will be battle on the fields. A sortie must be made ready. Let it be of mounted men, and in them, in them lies our brief hope, and for one thing, else only is the enemy still poorly provided. He has few horsemen, and we also have few. Now would the coming of Rohan be in the nick of time, said Dinathor. We are likely to see other newcomers first, said Gandalf. Fugitives from Caer and Dros have already reached us. The isle has fallen. Another army has come from the Black Gate, crossing from the northeast. Some have accused you, Mithrandir, of delighting to bear ill news, said Dinathor. But to me, this is no longer news. It was known to me ere nightfall yesterday. As for the sortie, I had already given thought to it. Let us go down. Time passed. At length, watchers on the walls could see the retreat out of the of the out companies. Small bands of weary and often wounded men came first with little order. Some were running wildly as if pursued. Away to the eastward, the distant fires flickered. Now it seemed that here and there they kept they crept across the plain. Houses and barns were burning. Then, from many points, little rivers of red flame came hurrying on, winding through the gloom, converging towards the line of the broad road that led from the city gate to Osgiliath. The, the enemy, they murmured. The dike is down. Here they come, pouring through the breaches, and they carry torches, it seems. Where are our own folk? It drew not to, it drew now to evening by the hour, and the light was so dim that even far-sighted men upon the citadel could discern light, li discern little clearly out upon the fields, save only the brings that ever multiplied, and the lines of fire that grew in length and speed. At last, less, less than a mile from the city, a more ordered mass of men came into view, marching, not running, still holding together. The watchers held their breath. Farmer must be there, they said. He can govern man and beast. He will make it yet. Now the main retreat was scarcely two furlongs distant. Out of the gloom behind a small company of horsemen galloped, all that left of the rear guard. Once again they turned at bay, facing the oncoming lines of fire. Then suddenly there was a tumult of fierce cries. Horsemen of the enemy swept up. The lines of fire became flowing torrents. torrents. Fly, file upon file of orcs bearing flames, and wild southern men with red banners, shouting with harsh tongues, surging up, overtaking the retreat. And with a piercing cry out of the dim sky fell the winged shadows, the Nazgul stooping to the kill. The retreat became a rout. Already men were breaking away, flying wild and witless here and there, flinging away their weapons, crying out in fear, falling to the ground. And then a trumpet rang from the citadel, and Dinathor at last released the sortie. Drawn up within the shadow of the gate and released the looming walls outside, they had waited for his signal. All the mountain men that were left in the city, 
now they spring forward formed quickened to a gallop and charged with a great shout and from the walls an answering shout went up for foremost on the field rode the swan knights of dull amroth with their prince and his blue banner at their head amroth for gondor they cried amroth to faramir they thun the like thunder they broke upon the enemy on either flank of the retreat but one rider outran them all swift as the wind in the grass shadowfax bore him shining unveiled once more a light starting from his upraised hand the nazgul screeched and swept away for the captain was not yet to come challenge the white fire to of his foe the host of morgul intent on their prey taken at unawares and wild career broke scattering like sparkles in a gale the out companies with a great cheer turned and smote their pursuers hunters became the hunted the retreat became an onslaught the field was strewn with stricken orcs and men and a reek arose of torches cast away spreading out in out in swirling smoke the cavalry rode on but dinathor did not permit them to go far though the enemy was checked and for that for the moment driven back great forces were flowing in from the east again the trumpet rang surrounding the tree the retreat the cavalry of gondor halted behind their screen the out companies reformed now steadily they came marching back they reached the gate of the city and entered stepping proudly and proudly the people of the city looked on them and cried their praise and yet they were troubled in heart for the companies were grievously reduced farmer had lost a third of his men and where was he last of all he came his men passed in the mounted knights returned and at their rear the banner of dull and wrath and the prince and in his arms before him on the horse he bore the body of his kinsman faramir son of denethor found upon the stricken field faramir faramir men cried weep, weeping in the streets but he did not answer and they bore him away up the winding road to the citadel and his father even as the nazgul had swerved aside from the onset of the white rider there came flying a deadly dart into the earth deadly dart and faramir as he held at bay a mounted champion of harad had fallen to the earth only the charge of Dolimroth had saved him from the red southland swords that would have hewed him as he lay the prince imrahil brought farmer to the white tower and he said your son has returned lord after great deeds and he told all that he had seen but dinathor rose and looked on the face of his son and was silent then he bade them make a bed in the chamber and lay farmer upon it and depart but he himself went up alone into the secret room under the summit of the tower and many who looked up thither at the time saw a pale light that gleamed and flickered out from the narrow windows for a while and then flashed and went out and when dinathor descended again he went to faramir and sat beside him without speaking but the face of the lord was gray more death-like than his son's so now at last the city was besieged enclosed in a ring of foes the ramass was broken and all the pelinor abandoned to the enemy the last word to come from outside the walls was brought by men flying down the northward road ere the gate was shut they were the rem the remnant of the guard that was kept at that point where they where the way from enorian and rohan ran into the townlands ingold led them the same who had adm admitted gandalf and pippin less than five days before while the sun still rose and there was hope in the morning there is no news of the rohan he said rohan will not come now or if they come it or if they come it will not avail us the new host that we had tidings of has come first from over the river by the way of andros it is said they are strong battalions of orcs of the eye and countless companies of men of a new sort that we have not met before not tall but broad and grim bearded like dwarves wielding great axes out of some savage land in the east they come redeem they hold the northward road and many have passed on into enorian the royal room cannot come the gate was shut all night watchmen on the walls heard the rumor of the enemy that roamed outside burning field and tree and hewing any man that they found abroad living or dead the numbers that had already passed over the river could not be guessed in the darkness but when morning or its dim shadow stole over the plain it was seen that even fear by night had scarcely overcounted them the pl the plain was dark with their marching companies and as far as eyes could strain in the murk were sh there sprouted like a foul fungus growth all about the beleaguered city great camps of tents black or sombre red 
busy as ants hurrying orcs for digging, digging lines of deep trenches in a huge ring, just out of bowshot from the walls, and as the trenches were made, each was filled with fire, though how it was kindled or fed, by art or delivery none could see. All day their labor went forward, while the men of Minas Tirith looked on, unable to hinder it, and as each length of trench was completed, they could see great loins approaching, and soon yet more companies of the enemy were swiftly setting up and each behind the cover of a trench great engines for casting for the casting of missiles there were none upon the city walls large enough to reach so far or to stay the work at first men laughed and did not greatly fear such devices for the main wall of the city was of great height and marvelous thickness but ere the power and the craft of numenor went in exile and its outward face was like to the tower of Orthanc, hard and dark and smooth, unconquerable by steel or fire, unbreakable except by some convulsion that would rend the very earth on which it stood. Nay, they said, not if the nameless one himself should come, not even he could enter here while we yet live. But some answered, while we yet live? How long? He has a weapon that has brought low many strong places since the world began. Hunger. The roads are cut. Rohan will not come. But the engines did not waste shot upon the indomitable wall. It was no brigand or orf chieftain that ordered the assault upon the lord of Mordor's greatest foe. A power and mind of malice guided it. As soon as the great catapults were set, set with many yells and the creaking of rope and winch, they began to throw missiles marvelously high, so that they passed right above the battlement and fell thudding within the first circle of the city, and many of them by some secret art burst into flame as they came toppling down. Soon there was great peril of fire behind the wall, and all who could be spared were busy quelling the flames that sprang up in many places. Then among the greater cast there fell another hail, less ruinous but more horrible. All about the streets and lanes behind the gate it tumbled down, small round shot that did not burn. But when men ran to learn what it might be, they cried aloud or wept. For the enemy was flinging into the city all the heads of those who had fallen fighting at Osgiliath, or on the Ramas, or in the fields. They were grim to look on, for though some were crushed and shapeless, and some had been cruelly hewn, and yet many, yet many had features that could be told, and it seemed that they had died in pain, and all were branded with the foul token of the lidless eye. But marred and dishonored as they were, it often chanced that thus a man would see again the face of someone that he had known, who had walked proudly with in arms, or tilled the fields, or ridden in upon a holiday from the green vales and the hills. In vain, men shook their fists at the pit pitiless foes that swarmed before the gate. Curses they heeded not, nor understood the tongues of western men, crying with harsh voices like beasts and carrion birds. But soon they were left in Minas Tirith, who had the heart to stand up and defy the host of Mordor. For yet another weapon, swifter than hunger, the lord of the Dark Lord had, dread and despair. The Nazgul came again, and as the Dark Lord now grew and put forth his strength so their voices which uttered only his will and his malice were filled with evil and horror even the, ever they circled above the city like vultures that expect the fill of their doomed men's flesh out of sight and shot they flew and yet were ever present and their deadly voices burnt the air more unbearable they became now less at each new cry at length even the stout-hearted would fling themselves to the ground as the hidden menace passed over them or they into the, their minds a blackness came and they thought no more of war but only of hiding and of crawling and of death during all this black day farmer lay upon his bed in the chamber of the white tower wandering in a desperate fever dying someone said and someone and soon dying all men were saying upon the walls and in the streets and by him his father sat and said nothing but watched and gave no longer any heed to the defence no hour so dark had pippin known not even the not even in the clutches of the urukai it was his duty to wait upon the lord and wait he did forgotten it seemed standing by the door of the unlit chamber mastering his own fears as best he could and as he watched it seemed to him that dinathor grew old before his eyes as if something had snapped in his proud will and his stern mind was overthrown grief maybe had wrought it in remorse he saw tears on that once tearless face more unbearable than wrath do not weep lord he stammered perhaps you will get well have you liked gandalf comfort me not with wizards said dinathor the fool's hope has failed the enemy has found it and now his power waxes he sees our very thoughts and all we do is ruinous 
I sent my I sent my son forth, unthanked, unblessed, out unto needless peril, and here he lies with poison in his veins. Nay, nay, whatever may now be tied in war, my line too is ending. Even the house of the stewards has failed. Mean folk shall rule the last remnant of the kings of men, lurking in the hall, lurking in the hills until all are hounded out. Men came to the door, crying for the lord of the city. Nay, I will not come down. He said. I must stay beside my son. He might still speak before the end, but that is near. Follow whom you will, even the gray fool, though his hope has failed. Here I stay. So it was that Gandalf took command of the last defense of the city of Gondor. Wherever he came, men's hearts would lift again, and the winged shadows pass from memory. Tirelessly he strode from citadel to gate, from north to south about the wall, and with him went the prince of Dol Amroth in his shining armor, for he and his knights still had themselves like lords, in whom the race of Numenor ran true. Men saw that them, men that saw them whispered, saying, "Be like the old tales speak well. There is elvish blood in the veins of that folk, for the people of Nimrodel dwelt in that land once long ago." And then one would sing amid the gloom some staves of the lay of Nimrodel, or other songs of the Vale of Anduin, out of vanished years. And yet, when they had gone, the shadows closed on men again, and their hearts went cold, and the valor of Gondor withered into ash. And so slowly they passed out of a dim day of fears into the darkness of a desperate night. Fires now raged unchecked in the first circle of the city, and the garrison upon the outer wall was already in many places cut from the retreat. But the faithful who had remained there at their posts were few. Most had fled beyond the second gate. Far behind the battle, the river had been swiftly bridged, and all day more force and gear of war had poured across. Now, alas, in the middle of the night, was assaulted w night the assaulted was loosed. The vanguard passed through the trenches of fire by, men, by many devious paths that had been left between them. On they came, reckless of their loss as they approached, still bunched and herded within the range of bowmen on the wall. But indeed, there were too few, few now left upon now left there to do them great damage, though the light of the fires showed up many a mark for archers of such skill as Gondor once had boasted. Then, perceiving that the valley valor of the city was already beaten down, the hidden captain put forth his strength. Slowly, the great siege towers built on Skeliath rolled forward through the dark. Messengers came again to the chamber in the white tower, and Pippin let them enter, for they were urgent. Dinothor turned his head slowly from Faramir's face and looked at them silently. The first circle of the city is burning, Lord, they said. What are your commands? You are still the Lord and Steward. Not all will follow Mithrandir. Men are flying from the walls and leaving them un unmanned. Why? Why do the fools fly? said Dinothor. Better to burn soon than late, for burn we must. Go back to your bonfire, and I, I will now, I will go now to my pyre. To my pyre, no tomb for Dinothor and Faramir, no tomb, no long, slow sleep of death embalmed. We will burn like heathen kings before even a ship sailed hither from the west. The west has failed. Go back and burn. The messengers, without bow or answer, returned, turned and fled. Now Dinothor stood up and released the fevered hand of Faramir that he held. He is burning, already burning, he said sadly. The house of his spirits crumbles. Then stepping softly towards Pippin, he looked down at him. Farewell, he said. Farewell, Peregrine, son of Paladin. Your service has been short, and now it is drawing to an end. I release you from the title that remains. Go now, and die in a way that seems best to you, and with whom you will, even that friend whose folly brought you to this death. Send for my servants, and then go. Farewell. I will not say farewell, my lord, said Pippin, kneeling. And then suddenly, hobbit-like, once more, he stood up and looked the old man into the eyes. I will take your leave, sir, he said, for I want to see Gandalf very much indeed, but he is no fool. I will not think, I will, and I will not think of dying until he despairs of life. But for my word and your services, I do not wish to be released while you live. And if they come at last to the citadel, I hope to be here and stand beside you and earn perhaps the arms that you have given me. Do as you will, Master Halfling, said Dinothor, but my life is broken. Send for my servants. He turned back to Faramir. Pippin left him and called, called for the servants, and they came. 
six men of the household strong and fair yet they trembled at the summons but in a quiet voice Dinathor bade them lay warm coverlets on Farmer's bed and take it up and they did so and lifting up the bed they bore it from the chamber slowly they paced to trouble the fevered man as little as might be and Dinathor, now bending on his staff followed them and last came pippin out from the white tower they walked as if to a funeral out into the darkness where the overhanging cloud was lit beneath with flickers of dull red softly they paced the great courtyard and at a word from the from Dinathor halted beside the withered tree all was silent save for the rumor of war in the city below now it and they heard the water dripping sadly from the dead branches into the dark pool then they went on through the citadel gate where the sentinel stared at them in wonder and dismay as they passed by turning westward they came at length to a door in the rearward wall of the sixth circle fen hall and it was called for it was kept ever shut save at times of funeral and only the lord of the city might use that of the dead might use that way or those who bore the token of the tombs intended the houses of the dead beyond it went a winding road that descended in a many descended in many curves down to the narrow land under the shadow of mendolian's precipice where stood the mansions of the dead kings and of their stewards a porter sat in a little house beside the way and with fear in his eyes he came forth bearing a lantern in his hand at the lord's command he unlocked the door and silently it swung back and they passed through taking the lantern from his hand it was dark on the climbing road between ancient walls and many pillared balusters walked down down until at last excuse me and many pillared balusters looming in the swing lantern beam their slow feet echoed as they walked down down until at last they came to the silent street wrapped in end between pale domes and empty halls and images of men long dead and they entered into the house of the stewards and set down their burden there pippin staring uneasily about him saw that he was in a wide vaulted chamber draped as it were with great shadows that the little lantern threw upon its shrouded walls and dimly to be seen there dimly to be seen were many rows of tables carved of marble and upon each table lay a sleeping form hands folded head pillowed on, upon a stone but one table near at hand stood broad and bare upon it a sign from dinathor they laid far mirror and his father side by side and covered them with one covering and stood then with bowed heads as mourners beside a bed of death then dinathor spoke in a low voice here we will wait he said but send not for the embalmers bring us wood quick to burn and lay it all about us and beneath and pour oil upon it and when i bid you and thrust in a torch do this and speak no more to me farewell by your leave lord said pippin and turned and fled in terror from the deathly house poor faramir he thought i must find gandalf poor faramir quite likely he needs medicine more than tears oh where can i find gandalf in the thick of things i suppose and he will have no time to spare for dying men or madmen at the door he turned to one of the servants who had remained on guard there your master is not yourself he said go slow bring no fire to this place while faramir lives do nothing until gandalf comes who is the master of minas tirith the man answered the lord dinathor or the grey wanderer the grey wanderer no one it would seem said pippin and he sped back and up the winding way as swiftly as his feet would carry him past the astonished porter out through the door and on till he came near the edge near the gate of the citadel the sentinel hailed upon hailed him as he went by and he recognized the voice of Bergond. whither do you run master peregrine he cried to find mithrandir pippin answered the lord's errands are urgent but or urgent and should be hindered by me said Bergond. but tell me quickly if you may what goes forward whither has my lord gone i have just come on duty but i heard that he passed towards the closed door and men were bearing farmer before him yes said pippin to the silent street Bergond bowed his head to hide his tears they said he was dying he sighed and now he is dead no said pippin not yet and even now his death might be prevented i think but the lord of the city Bergond, has fallen before his has fallen before his city is taken he is fey and dangerous quickly he told of dinathor's strange words and deeds i must find gandalf at once then you must go down and down to the battle 
I know the Lord has given me leave, but bear God, if you can, do something to stop any dreadful thing happening. The Lord does not permit those who wear the black and silver to leave their post for any cause, save at his own command. Well, you must choose between orders and the life of Faramir, said. Well, you must... The Lord did not permit any permit those who wear the black and silver to leave their post for any cause, save at his own command. Well, you must choose between orders and the life of Faramir, said Pippin. And as far as and as for orders, I think you have a madman to deal with, not a lord. I must run. I will return if I can. He ran on, down, down towards the outer city, men flying back from the burning past him, and some seething, some seeing his livery turned and shouted, but he paid no heed. At last he was through the second gate, beyond which great fires leaped up between the walls, yet it seemed strange silently. Str it seemed strangely silent. No noise or shouts of battle or din of arms could be heard. Then suddenly there was a dreadful cry and a great shock and a deep echoing boom. Pressing himself on against a gust of fear and horror that shook him almost to his knees, Pippin turned a corner opening on the wide place behind the city gate. He stopped dead. He found Gandalf, but he shrank back, cowering into a shadow. Ever since the middle night, ever since the middle night, the great assault had gone on. The drums rolled to the north and to the south, company upon company of, of the enemy pressed to the walls. There came great beasts, like moving houses in the red and fitful light. The mumakil of the hare dragging through the lanes amid the fires, huge towers and engines. Yet their captain cared not greatly what they did or how many might be slain. Their purpose was only to test the strength of the defiance and to keep the men of Gondor busy in many places. It was against the gate that he would throw his heaviest weight. Very strong it might be, wrought of steel and iron, and guarded with towers and bastions of indomitable stone. Yet it was the key, the weakest point in all that high and impenetrable wall. The drums rolled louder, fires leaped up, great engine crawled across the field, and in the midst was a huge ram, great as a forest tree, a, a hundred feet in length, swinging on mighty chains. Long had it been forging in the dark smithies of Mordor, and its hideous head, founded by black steel, was shaped in the likeness of a ravaging wolf. On its spells of, of ruin lay. Goron, they named it, in, many, in memory of the hammer of the underworld of old. Great beasts drew it, orcs surrounded it, and behind walked mountain trolls to wield it. But above the gate resistance still was stout, and there the knights of Dol Amroth and the hardiest of the garrison stood at bay. Shot and dart fell thick. Siege towers crashed or blazed suddenly like torches. All before the walls on either side of the gate, the ground was choked with wreck and with bodies of the slain, yet still driven as by, still driven as by a madness, more and more came up. Ground crawled on. Upon its housing no fire would catch, and though now and again some great beast that hauled it would go mad and spread stamping ruin among the orcs innumerable that guarded it, their bodies were cast aside from its path, and others took their place. Grand called on. The drums rolled wildly. Over the hills of slain a hideous shape appeared, a horseman, tall, hooded, cloaked in black. Slowly trampling the fallen, he rode forth, heeding no longer any dart. He halted and held up a long pale sword, and as he did so, a great fear fell on all, defender and foe alike. Then the hands of men drooped to their sides, and no bow sang. For a moment all was still. The drums rolled and rattled, for a vast rush of ground was hurled forward by huge hands, and it reached the gate. It swung. A deep boom rumbled through the city like thunder running in the clouds, but the doors of iron past posts of steel withstood the stroke. Then the black captain rose in his stirrups and cried aloud in a dreadful voice, speaking in some forgotten tongue words of power and terror to rend both heart and stone. Thrice he cried, thrice the great ram boomed, and suddenly upon the last stroke the gate of Gondor broke, as if stricken by some blasting spell it burst asunder. There was a flash of seeing lightning, and the doors tumbled in riven fragments to the ground. In the road, lord of the Nazgul, a great black shape against the fires beyond he loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. In rode the lord of the Nazgul, under the archway that no enemy ever yet passed, and all fled before his face. In rode the lord of the Nazgul, a great black shape against the fires beyond, the, beyond he loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. In rode the lord of the Nazgul, under the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed, that all fled before his face, all save one. 
There, waiting silent and up still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. Shadowfax, who alone among the free horses of the earth endured the terror, a moving steadfast as a graven image of Wrath Dinan. You cannot enter here, said Gandalf, and the huge shadow halted. Shadow halted. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Go. The black rider flung back his hood, and behold, he had a kingly crown, and yet upon no head visible was it set. The red fire shone between it, and the mantled shoulders vast and dark. From a mouth unseen he came there came a deadly laughter. Old fool, he said, old fool, this is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain. And with that he lifted his sword high he he lifted high his sword, and flames ran down the blade. Gandalf did not move. In that very moment, away behind, in some courtyard of the city, a cock crowed. Shrill and clear he crowed, wreaking, wreck, wrecking nothing of wizardly of or war, welcoming only the morning sound in the sky, far above the shadows of death, was coming with the dawn, and as if any answer there could... And, and as if in, and, and as if in answer there came from far away another note, horns, horns, horns. And dark Mendelian sides they dimly echoed, greatly horns of the north wind of the north wildly blowing. Rohan had come at last.